I'm Earl at TheLogbook.com, and I'm here to tell you The Logbook has a new Patronus. No, sorry, Patreon. The Logbook has a new Patreon. Basically, if you like what The Logbook does, the ever-expanding site, the monthly and in some cases daily podcasts, and the book spin-offs from both, you can help us keep going by becoming our patron at Patreon. There are goodies in it for you from access to show notes, to trading cards, to even having me do voice work for you. And you get to help me and the logbook do what we do every night, trying to take over the world and turn it into a great big geekosphere. Thanks, as always, for listening, for your feedback, and for your support. Mr. Announcer? Hey, yo, oh, my, thank you so much. I'll be alive. Oh, my God. The city giver's dead. <laughs> I'll be a miserable man. Do not give this cake to Earl. Welcome back, friends. To don't give this tape to Earl. I am Earl, the person to whom you are not intended to give this tape. However, someone has anyway, and so you get to hear me. Sorry I've been away for a while. I have been sick as a dog. Actually, where did that phrase come from? Whose dog was it who was so sick that we now have this phrase, you know, until time immemorial? Poor dog. Although, uh, yeah, I mean, really, really poor dog. I feel sorry for him because I have had like this month-long battle with sinus infections, eye infections. You know, I've just had, <laughs> I've just had stuff coming out of every orifice, and I know you want to hear that. That's why you tune into this show so you can hear me talk about. You know, where all I have mucus erupting from. What I really need to do sometime is I need to write and record an evergreen show for each of my podcasts. Back when I was working in TV, an evergreen show was something that a syndication outfit would send down once a year with the intention of if you missed every possible opportunity to catch a satellite feed of the new show, here was the Evergreen Show. You could show this any time. The station I worked at was such a dodgy operation, we wound up showing the Evergreen Shows a lot. And, yeah. So I need to do that sometime. I should, do an, I should start doing an Evergreen Show just as a matter of policy. And, you know, at the end of the year, if I don't use it, I don't know, uh, you know... Send it, send it out to the three Patreon people. <laughs> Something like that. Or, you know, drop it as the Christmas episode. The, the non-specific Christmas special from thelogbook.com. So I should do that sometime. With all the spare time that I have, you know, in abundance, just, you know, stacked up in crates around me. Which is not a thing that actually happens. So, I've also been uh, dealing with a little bit of medical fatigue from a couple of conflicting prescriptions I've gotten. And the funny thing is, and maybe I shouldn't be admitting this, I completely forgot to take my meds this morning. I feel fantastic! It's like, hey, let's cast some pods hither and yon. Why not? I, I took a long nap because one of the things that my medicine has been costing me is the ability to sleep through the night. I tend to get up about three in the morning 
And sometimes, without even being aware of it, I will move from my bed to the sofa, or vice versa, because we've gotten to that lovely time of the year where the windows in my house are open 24-7. And, uh, I probably shouldn't be <laughs> copping to that, but hey, I have vicious guard cats. You know, you want to try it? Go ahead. Um... So, so the windows are open 24-7, so apparently my subconscious likes to sleep under an open window. And so I will literally go to sleep in one place and wake up in another. Although there's usually, here recently, it's been more of a case of there's an hour of sort of this very woozy twilight awake time at about somewhere between 3 and 4 in the morning where I get up and I'm hungry and I have the weirdest food cravings. Uh, this morning it was peaches. The other morning it was strawberries. I found out this morning that Obi, my cat, one of my vicious guard cats, likes peaches. Obi's weird. Obi's really weird. Anyway, so I've had a lot going on and it has just beaten the crap out of me. I'm sorry I have been off the air and uh, I'm going to try to keep it on a regular schedule from here on out, which has always been the intention. Let's talk news. Well, let's talk the fun kind of news. Uh, yeah, as I'm sitting here recording this, yesterday we dropped the mother of all bombs. What I want to know is, where was the father during all this? Deadbeat. Anyway, moving on, moving on. Uh, SpaceX has reflown and landed an orbital class booster. First time that's happened since the shuttle program. But it's the first time that it's been done at all with an unmanned booster rocket. And the really cool thing about this is the fairing, basically the nose cone surrounding the cargo being deployed into space, they even recovered the fairing. Now that's something that has to be custom made at the cost of, you know, low millions of dollars. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. So SpaceX does it again. As I record this, the new season of Mystery Science Theater 3000 has dropped on Netflix. Wow. I haven't watched it yet because I love you guys so much that I'm recording this podcast instead of just automatically, instantly binge-watching MST3K, but it's out there. That means the new season of Doctor Who starts tomorrow. We live in amazing times. That means Twin Peaks is just around the corner, too. And Bill Nye saves the world. We've got some good stuff coming up this year. Uh, last time... <laughs> last time we passed this way. Uh, the last episode of Don't Give This Tape to Earl, I was waxing rhapsodic about Funko's upcoming 
three three quarter inch, basically Star Wars scale action figures from the 1966 Batman TV series. And I was saying they were going to be out in June or July, just in time for my birthday. Hey, they're going to be out in May, starting with a boxed set of the Batmobile with Batman and Robin. So, you know, it's going to be a little bit ahead of schedule for my birthday. Father's Day? Father's Day is good? Just wanted to point that out. Just in case. You never know. All of classic Doctor Who is coming to a streaming service called BritBox. The first 26 seasons. The original series of Doctor Who. All of it. It's coming to BritBox, which is a joint venture between the BBC and ITV to monetize their content in a streaming service on this side of the Atlantic. Hint to the BBC. You could probably make a lot of friends by putting Blake's 7 on your service. Just saying. Now, the interesting thing about this is that apparently their plans also include making audio files of the Doctor Who episodes that are missing in video form available. So, this is not an understatement. All of classic Doctor Who is coming to BritBox. And if that leaves you hungry for more classic Doctor Who, it looks like this season that's about to start tomorrow is going to be very nice for you. We have 1966 Cybermen. They're back. And apparently John Sim is back as the master. I have no idea what that's about. I've really... I make an effort to stay unspoiled on this stuff because, you know what? I I actually kind of like to be surprised. I'm crazy that way. A couple of weeks ago, the Electric Light Orchestra was finally inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, my all-time favorite band, which I know that means nothing to anyone except me, but I was very happy to see them there. I was amazed and very happy to see Roy Wood get up on the stage with Jeff Lynne and say a word. I was a little disappointed that he didn't play with them, but... That's that's a pretty deep dive, because Roy was only there, he was one of the founding members, but he left during the early stages of recording on the second album in 1972. So that's a pretty deep dive to get Roy Wood on stage at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in the United States. I was very pleased to see him there. Uh, word has leaked out that Carrie Fisher will be present in Star Wars Episode Nine as Princess Leia. General Leia. Sorry. General Leia. I should know better than that. Oh, and hey, look at that. This morning, uh, they dropped a new trailer for Episode Eight, The Last Jedi. And there was one scene where I noticed, finally, after 40 years, it is just like dusting crops, boy. One last word before we move on out of the news section. And I've written a fairly lengthy spiel about this over on my blog, and I'll post a link to it on the show page at thelogbook.com slash this tape. But in 2011, or actually, let me back up before that. Since 1999, thelogbook.com was an affiliate of amazon.com which means that we would post links to stuff that Amazon had available, and we would also post search boxes that had a special code in them 
that would tag it as coming from our site. Purchases made that way helped support the site. And when I say that, I'm, I, I don't mean helped support the site like, yeah, it got us a couple of bucks. I mean, the site used to be self-sustaining. It used to be a self-sustaining endeavor, which kind of justified continuing to work on it and continuing to expand it. In 2011, when the state of Arkansas was trying to push through a bill that would force Amazon to collect state sales tax in the state of Arkansas, Amazon retaliated by dropping all of their Arkansas affiliates, all affiliate sites with an Arkansas physical mailing address. That included me. So there have been several years where really monetizing the site was not a thing that would happen. And I think you'll probably notice that right about that time is when the switch happened from updating the website to, hey, Earl's writing books now. The good news is, thanks to a change in federal law, Amazon is now compelled legally to collect state sales tax in all 50 states. Now, I know that's not something that has everyone jumping for joy, but the upshot of it is, now that the ban is obvious for what it is, which was just a pressure tactic, they have lifted the ban on affiliates with Arkansas addresses. I can once again monetize the logbook.com. This has been a long time coming, and I kind of anticipated that this would happen somewhere down the road. I wasn't thinking it was going to take six years. But it did, and we're here, and I'm back in the affiliate program, and it's time to see if we can get the site back to a self-sustaining endeavor. I know this weekend my oldest son and I are actually going to be doing a lot of uh, code wrangling on the site to bring things up to date. I, I really tried not to let it get too far out of date as far as affiliation links, but the big thing that is here now that was not there then at the time that the Arkansas affiliates all got cut off at once was Amazon Video. And I run a site that has a huge section about TV shows and movies, so I think I'm pretty well poised to make a buck here. We just have to get all the links in place, and that's what E and I are going to be working on this weekend. So, the there will be a few changes at the logbook, some of which will become obvious here in a few weeks. But one of the big changes is that I have decided to let the In the Grand Theme of Things podcast fold down and conclude this summer. Now that we can monetize, it would be it would make more sense to put that effort into written soundtrack reviews that have a chance of making a buck versus a podcast that, for legal reasons, I can't even put on iTunes. So I'm going to be stepping down from three podcasts a month to two podcasts a month. Don't worry, Select Game is staying put. Don't give this tape to Earl is staying put. The Escape Pod is staying put. Oh, yeah, I'm stepping down from four podcasts to three podcasts. So... Fear not, the soundtrack podcast was really the least listened to, so it's not, you know, this is not a, a hideous wound that we are suffering, but it will lighten up my workload, especially in the summer months when the boys are with me quite a bit more as school is let out. So the soundtrack podcast has about run its course. I'm 
much more invested in Select Game and this podcast and the Escape Pod, all of which are on iTunes, all of which can draw people back to the website, where hopefully they feel like spending some money. I know that some people are not really comfortable with the Patreon model. If they spend money, they want to get something out of it. I understand that. I'm, I'm not going to judge anybody for feeling that way about it. So, I've got the brains, you've got the brawn. Let's make lots of money. Well, maybe a little bit of money. friends, it's time to talk about what media I have consumed. <laughs> Just kidding. The latest episode of Star Trek Continues dropped at the beginning of April. An episode called Still Treads the Shadow. Guest starring Rekha Sharma from Battlestar Galactica, the newer, the newer iteration of Battlestar Galactica. I liked it. It was not at all what I thought it was going to be. I didn't think we were going to be doing, you know, current current era character plus old version of that character again, because that has been done twice. <laughs> that was done twice by Star Trek New Voyages, or Phase 2, whatever you want to call them. It's a plunge for me. So I was kind of surprised to see that, that chestnut mind once again. It wasn't done badly. In fact, it was done very well. I was just kind of surprised to see that in a show that has a very limited lifespan, because Star Trek Continues is winding down because of the new regulations, or not regulations, but the, uh, the guidelines put in place by CBS for Star Trek fan films, I was kind of surprised to see them spend one of their last remaining hours on really an internalized plot like that. Uh, it's a bit of a surprise, not an unpleasant one. I was just like, wow, okay, they're doing that, okay. I have been watching a lot of older material for the books that I am currently writing, which include the guide to 42 British telefantasy classics. And We Come From a Funky Future, which is a book that will cover 70s sci-fi on TV in the United States. I recently finished re-watching season one of the 1970s Wonder Woman series, which has been chronicled in the logbook. I'll include the link for that so you can go look it up. And, and I've actually gotten a couple of episodes into the second season, and I very quickly came to the realization I like Wonder Woman much better with the World War II setting. Punching Nazis. That's where the action is. I just, I really liked the show in that setting. I could let it get away with the cheese a lot more. Once you get into, in quote-unquote, modern day, aligned with the show's broadcast date, and it's all taking place in 1978... Then it's disco-era cheese. Before, it was nostalgic cheese. Mm. 
Speaking of cheese, I am also closing in on a rewatch of the first season of Batman 66. All I can really tell you is that this show is still everything I hoped and dreamed it would be. It has aged very well. And no, I'm not joking when I say that. I still love it. Uh, some of the UK shows that I've been re-watching. Some weird ones. I watched a show from 1975 called Sky, where I had to double back and re-watch a couple of the episodes to figure out what the hell this show was about. I mean, it was that weird. The meaning of it was that obfuscated. It's kind of bizarre. also watched a show from 1977 called Raven, which was one of those shows where you can see what it's about. You can see what they're trying to do. It's just that they didn't quite manage to do it. They didn't, they didn't get the point across. I've also been watching a series from... Uh, 1984 through 86, it ran three seasons. It's called Chalky. No, it's not about chocolates. It's about an alien who makes contact with a young boy and enhances his intelligence and his creativity and his artistic ability. It's an interesting show. It's kind of charming in places. And then it really horrifies me by very casually dealing with multiple instances of motorcycles driving past my open window. No, it deals very casually, I mean, startlingly casually with things like kidnapping by government agents, and it's like, whoa, 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 wait a minute, this, you know, this was such a cute little show and now it's horrifying? <clears throat> my favorite show that I've been discovering recently, sadly, is incomplete. The entire first two seasons of it are missing in toto. The tapes have been erased, they're gone We'll never see it again. It's a show from the early 70s called Ace of Wands. And this has the trippiest theme song ever. It's actually, it's the visuals with the song. It's the whole opening title sequence that is just deliciously trippy. And the show itself is just kind of fun. You can't take it too seriously. It's about a stage magician who has an ESP connection with one of his assistants, usually the female, always the female one, actually. And he, uh, he solves crimes in between doing his stage magic. And it's kind, of, it's kind of an interesting show because you have this guy who is a master of sleight of hand, and you have this endless string of bad guys who are trying to pull off capers by making them look like they are supernatural in nature. And he's like, no, <laughs> It's all sleight of hand. Let me show you how. So it's really interesting to have this collision of magic and skepticism. You know, for some reason, I can imagine Penn and Teller kicking back, getting totally blasted, totally high, and watching Ace of Wands, because this seems like it would be right up their alley. A new Depeche Mode album dropped about a month ago. I really liked it. The lyrics... It's kind of funny, because it takes years to create an album. You have to write the material, you have to record it, then you go into the studio to finesse it and fix it up. You know, at the very least, it takes months and months, if not years, to record an album. And these lyrics seem like they were written yesterday. Maybe that just means they're incredibly vague <laughs> and sound like something that could be applied to what's in the headlines right now, of which the less said the better. But uh, it's interesting. Really liked it. 
Really liked it. So, probably wondering what the heck is up with this month's topic. Well, unlike the previous parts of the show, I am now recording this bit just after midnight on April the 21st, 2017. It has now been 21 years. We're in a. It, let me back that up a little bit. In about. Let's say 22 hours. It will be exactly 21 years since a weak F3 tornado ripped through downtown Fort Smith, Arkansas. The reason that's a big deal to me is that I lived in downtown Fort Smith, Arkansas on April 21st, 1996 when this happened. Now that wasn't the first time I had... <laughs> you know, ever even thought about that kind of weather, because when you grow up in Arkansas, or also, I suspect, Oklahoma and Kansas and Missouri, anywhere in there, probably pretty big chunks of Texas, too, you grow up in a world where tornado watches and tornado warnings and severe thunderstorm watches and warnings are a thing. They're just there. They happen. You get accustomed to them. It's kind of like maintaining combat readiness, I I don't really want to insult the intelligence of anyone who has actually had to genuinely maintain combat readiness, but the analogy is just a little bit valid, because you have these extended periods of being alert, and after a while you kind of let your guard down. As a matter of fact, I am recording this the night before a day that we are supposed to have active weather. So it is very likely that later today, as the cow flies April 21st, 2017, I will probably wind up under a tornado watch because we are in what the Storm Prediction Center calls an enhanced risk of severe weather. The Storm Prediction Center site is, if you don't live in this part of the country, if you don't live anywhere where this kind of weather happens, it's probably not a site that you are aware of or have ever had to visit. But basically, they publish maps usually three days out. They have an experimental tool that goes up to eight days out with less and less certainty the further away from today you get. But generally, for about the next 24 to 48 hours, it's a, it's a pretty solid indicator of where bad weather is going to happen. This time of the year, in the late spring around here, you wind up checking the site daily. In fact, I've got some other tools that I employ for weather watching that I will discuss later. Watches generally mean something might happen. Warnings mean, hey, something's happening right now. It's been spotted. It's real. 
don't freak out, but uh, take shelter. Now, when I was a kid, I was both fascinated and terrified by local news coverage of severe weather. It's kind of funny these days. You have sponsor bumpers. You know, you have something show up with the station logo and a sponsor. You know, this wall-to-wall tornado coverage is brought to you by your Kia dealership or something like that. And there's and there's music and, you know, there's a transition. Man, back in my day, there was no such thing. There was the red screen of death. And it would just unceremoniously interrupt your shows. Usually with the EBS tone scaring the crap out of you. You're scaring crap out of me because I was a little kid and had a different set of problems than a cat fight taking place three feet behind me. Did you guys cut it out? What is up? The weather makes everyone crazy. Now when I was growing up, really most of my <laughs> most of my formative years in Fort Smith up through around the time I left the voice of the National Weather Service was usually a gentleman named Forrest Johns who was the the chief meteorologist there and he had a very distinctive voice it's kind of funny because thinking back on it I I actually put out the call on Facebook about a month and a half ago because I knew I would be dealing with this topic and I put out the call on Facebook, you know, for anyone local, if you have a recording of an old weather warning with Forrest John's voice on it, you know, I would love to feature it. I had no takers on that because, you know, who in the world would have recorded a pre-1995 weather warning? And why <laughs> why would they still have that recording now? But Forrest Johns had this very distinctive voice, and he had this kind of elliptical speech pattern that <clears throat> reminds me of nothing so much as the original appearance of the Cybermen on Doctor Who, where they would emphasize certain syllables in a way that you just didn't hear other people emphasize. You know, he you know, he would get on there and say, This is the voice of the National Weather Service in Fort Smith, Arkansas. He, a little bit faster than that, because, you know, usually if you heard the guy delivering a warning, there was a bit more urgency. But I learned to fear that voice because it was the first thing that you heard, you know, when your show just came to a crashing halt and there was the EBS tone and there was the red screen of death. Actually, there was... It's not so much the red screen of death as that there was a gradation of colors down the warm end of the color wheel, but the the red screen of death that was the worst. That was the tornado warning. You were in real trouble then. I distinctly remember in the house I grew up in there was an office in the basement, which is where my mother used to work from home when I was, you know, when I was a newborn, when I was a toddler. Before, you know, there was any place to send me, you really didn't have daycares back then like you do now in the early 70s. This window faced west onto 56th Terrace, which was the street that I lived on. And it was ground level. The, the basement wasn't really so much a basement as it was a garage but it was always called the basement for some reason. You know, it was not in the foundation 
you know it was it was on the foundation it was on top of the foundation it was not a basement but for some reason growing up everyone called it the basement this room was our default tornado shelter at the house although there was one time that i remember we went down there to take shelter because a tornado warning had been issued the weather was really bad and when we opened the door to what was now a very seldom used office with an electric typewriter in it and i think my dad's old cb radio was down there uh, we discovered that the window had been completely destroyed by and this had to have happened within you know the past minute or two a baseball sized hailstone had just blown that window out this for some reason <laughs> gave us pause about taking shelter there There was another time at my grandmother's house, which was also in Fort Smith, where I I wound up going to my grandmother's house after school a lot because my mother was working when I was in elementary school. And so the routine at my grandmother's house was that she would set me up in front of the TV, and there was a station that ran uh, the old Adam West Batman series, which was really my exposure to that. That's a whole different podcast. <laughs> and Scooby-Doo and she would uh, she would whip up a couple of grilled cheese sandwiches for me that I have spent my entire adult life trying to replicate the exact taste and texture of to no avail I've gotten close that's a whole different podcast anyway there was one time that I was <clears throat> happily watching Batman or Scooby-Doo or something and the station that I was, the local station that I was watching it on, went to the red screen. Oh my God, tornado warning. But before I even had a chance to hear what the tornado warning was for, there was this blast of lightning and thunder that had to be just right outside the house, and the power went out. My grandmother was doing something in her garage at the time, and I freaked out. Now, I'm going to say at this point that I had to be seven, maybe eight years old. I kid you not, I probably crapped myself when that happened because it all just happened at once. I remember at the elementary school that I went to, the tornado warning that they would put on the, uh, the speakers in the building. Well, first off, there, there are two things two things. There was a civil defense siren at the end of the drive, where the drive connected to Kincaid Avenue. There was a civil defense siren down there that I remember when I was in sixth grade, I was briefly in the safety patrol, and it freaked me out having to stand under that siren because I did not want to know how loud it would be if it went off while I was standing right underneath it because heaven knew it was certainly loud if you were in the building. I mean, it was deafening because it was right there. It was right next to the building. And there was also a sound that they would play on the loudspeakers in the building that, and it's kind of funny, basically it's the red alert sound from Star Trek The Motion Picture. <laughs> what the origin point of the sound in either case was 
it was burned into my head, and that was about my least favorite thing about that first Star Trek movie, was, that, you know, the red alert sound was no longer this this whooping sound, it was this, bah, bah, bah. you know, it's like the guy in Kentucky Fried Movie who shows up with the Radio Shack fire helmet on and a, you know, he's got a loudspeaker, meh, meh, meh. It's funny now, it's funny now, but when I was a kid, it terrified me. And since it terrified me, almost to the point of just making me freeze in place any time there was even a hint of bad weather happening, my mom had a habit of trying to... uh, She took the same approach either in encouraging my interests or in making me face my fears. She would figure out somewhere that we could go to learn more about it, not just read about it, but get in the middle of it. How do you safely do this with bad weather? You know, these days you have storm chasing as a tourist activity, which, by the way, is stupid. And that's not stupid with a U. That's stupid with two O's. That is stupid. It's got to get somebody killed before long, assuming it hasn't already. But, again, 70s, early 80s, she couldn't really do that. My mother arranged for me to visit the National Weather Service office at the Fort Smith Airport, where I got to meet the forecasters, including Forrest Johns, who turned out to be the nicest guy. He still talked like that, but, you know, it was more of a laid-back drawl in the urgency you heard him on the weather radio. I got to look around the Weather Service office, look at the radar. Now, keep in mind, this was pre-NEXRAT radar, so this was basically the... uh, I think they called it the WSR, I think it was like 58D, because basically it was a post-World War II ship's radar that was kind of tweaked and optimized a little bit to pick up weather. It's nothing like we had now. This, you know, if you ever saw a weather radar in the, you know, in the 70s and it looked like air traffic control radar, that's, that's what this looked like. I was really fascinated to see that they had a recording booth and they had a cart machine. Now, this is this is a thing that is extinct now, and I will have to explain it. And this will come up again later when I'm talking about working in radio. A cart machine used carts, or, or more formally, cartridge tapes, which were about the same shape and size as an 8-track tape, which is something else that is extinct, so that's a completely useless comparison except that a, a radio cart had a stretch of tape in it that ran something like a minute and 10 seconds. Or, you know, whatever length it was supposed to be. Like 30 seconds, add 10 seconds to that, 40 seconds. And then it would loop around. The idea being that you could put this in an automated player and set up a seat, you know, an automated player would be a carousel, basically. Would be this vertical carousel circular carousel facing outward with lots of slots and you would put a cart in each slot and you would set a program on the automation and it would play the tapes in a particular order. The way you would record this stuff in radio, and I'm sure they did it the same way at the National Weather Service at the time, was that you would sit there, record live from your mic onto cart, and then you would press a button when you were done talking and that would drop a cue tone onto onto the cart. Now, no one listening would ever hear that cue tone because it was on a separate track 
where it would only be detected by the machine playing it back, the Q-Tone indicated, I'm done with this one, play the next thing. And then it would fast forward to a Q-Tone that was set right before the recording. Now one thing I learned about their recording booth, and the fact that they manually recorded this stuff, was that time was so critical that only a really extreme foul-up would result in a second take. There was just not time to sit there and get it perfect. So occasionally they would sit there and stumble, you know, on the air in the middle of a weather warning, and that weather warning, you know, complete with the blooper, if you like, would repeat until they had a chance to record it again. But things might be too hectic for them to do that for the duration of that warning. And it kind of occurs to me that this may be both where I caught the weather bug and the radio bug at the same time. My mom also took me to KFSM, the local CBS station, Channel 5, and I got to meet, you know, now long departed, but a, a legendary Fort Smith weather personality named John Chandler. Very old school broadcast gentleman. I mean, he was old at this time. He was nearing retirement age, and they just don't... They don't make them like him anymore. Yeah, he was laid back and reassuring no matter what. You know, there was none of this, you know, oh, I'm going to roll my sleeves up, and how far up I roll my sleeves tells you how bad the weather is. There was nothing like that. So this may also be where I got the TV bug. I mean, so much so much of my life really has been shaped by my relationship to the weather. So this got me interested in learning how tornadoes formed, which we, we still barely know how that works. I mean, we know some of the mechanics that have to be in place for it to happen, but a actual prediction, we're still not quite there. You know, a lot of warnings are issued for stuff that never materializes. And, you know, there's a lot of debate in the meteorological community as to whether or not, you know, and the emergency management community as to whether or not that's counterproductive. You know, is it having a, uh, is it having a cry wolf effect, basically, where people are not going to take the next warning seriously? And that's a valid debate that could take up a whole other podcast. So, you know, I've lined up like four topics here to talk about in the future if I so desire. I was interested in you know, how you detected them. I was fascinated by, you know, the knowledge that on, on radar, a tornado looked a certain way. It looked like, you know, sort of a circular hook, like a mini hurricane, really. You know, I was interested in, you know, the process of warnings. And, you know, before long, I was more interested than afraid. Knowledge overriding fear. Now, in the mid-1980s, something magical appeared on the Fort Smith cable system called the Weather Channel. I probably nerded out on the Weather Channel more than I did on MTV. There was a local cable access channel that all it ever did was it published, you know, the trash pick, the city trash pickup schedules and, you know, other events like that. And then it would always default back to a home screen that had this ASCII compass rose showing the current wind direction and speed. And that always fascinated me. It's like, wow, you know, remote sensing, that's what's going on right now, and I don't have to be out in it to figure that out. The Weather Channel local forecast screen, man, that was that, was that compass rose wind speed thing times 10,000. 
We'll get back to the Weather Channel local forecast screen in a little bit because uh, it, it's funny how some things never go away even when they do. Sometimes you just have to bring them back yourself. I remember sometime around 1986, 85 or 86, somewhere in there, also on the Fort Smith Cable system, um, one of the local radio stations, KISR, rented out a channel somewhere way off in the upper band of the Fort Smith Cable system, and they ran tornado safety videos. <laughs> And it was on a loop. Now, <laughs> so many interesting things I remember about this. And this is... <laughs> some of this stuff is a really weird thing to remember. This is really one of those flashpoint memories for no particular reason other than my friend Rob and I sat around and... Because this was playing... I think this was over spring break one year. And we were we were friends already in junior high. And we sat around and just watched this loop endlessly of these god-awful early 70s tornado safety films. I remember one of them was called Terrible Tuesday, about the Wichita Falls, Texas tornado. It can happen anywhere, and it does, usually in the same way. Moist, warm air from the south overruns cold air from the north. The warm air is forced aloft, and a thunderstorm forms. Rain begins falling beneath the northeastern part of the storm, and then large hail. A tip-off of something far worse. At the southwest edge of the storm, Almost always at that place, a dark, low-hanging cloud begins to churn. Out of it suddenly comes something frightening, a tornado funnel. Abruptly it touches down, spinning at more than 200 miles an hour, moving, growing, scooping up debris. Sometimes there is one funnel, sometimes several. Sometimes funnels are obscured by rain or darkness. It was an April afternoon, the one they call Terrible Tuesday. And there was a second tornado safety film that, whose title I have completely forgotten. It's probably out there available for viewing somewhere. Now, here's the weird thing. <laughs> These two tornado safety films ran in their entirety. And then came something that was either shot locally or pieced together from other tornado safety stock footage by the radio station because it was one of their announcers on it. And <laughs> this ran after the two tornado safety films. And there was a phrase in this, you know, short reminder of the safety procedures, you know, how to take shelter, how to shelter in place. What if you're in a car? What if you're under a bridge? All of that sort of thing. And there was this great phrase about, you know, don't, uh, don't stay in a car. Lie in a ditch if you have to. Don't worry about getting dirty. Just save your life. And Rob and I latched onto that phrase, and we still throw that at each other to this very day. 
So this left, uh, you're running up to the top of the hour before the thing looped around again. This left something like, oh, seven to ten minutes for the radio station to fill. And it was always the same two songs. And I remember it distinctly because the video running with these two songs, I would swear it was an Atari video music with the radio station's logo superimposed over it. You have to keep in mind, this would have been... At this point, Atari video music would have been 10 years old. They would not have been rare. There probably would have been a lot of them that you could pick up cheaply. Someone probably just happened to have one and say, Hey, you know, we'll use this to generate the video for it. We'll just record this and make it part of the loop. I remember one of the songs that played... The first song that played, you know, in this gap between the end of the safety films and top of the hour was One Night in Bangkok by Murray Head, which is how I know the lyrics to that song so well. I mean, that's a, that's a fairly chatty little rap of a song, and it's very wordy, and I know it so well because, you know, I kept seeing it again and again spring break this one year <laughs> while we were still giggling about don't worry about getting dirty, just save your life. So this stuff played every hour until the top of the hour like clockwork. One other thing I remember that's kind of funny about the tornado safety films that ran as part of this loop was that there was so much time spent on telling people to extinguish their cigarettes because everybody smokes. Who doesn't smoke? It's the 70s. <clears throat> Don't worry about getting dirty. Just save your life. In the early 90s, actually, not even the early 90s, before I was out of high school, before I graduated, still in the 80s, I got into local radio. The second station I wound up working at was... It, there's an interesting story here, and I'm trying to figure out a, a, a way to explain it for those who do not live in this area. There was a very popular television weather personality who was no longer on television. There had been something of an acrimonious split with his former employers. And so now he was syndicating his services to radio stations around the region, even though really basically all he was doing was, you know, he had, you know, one of the dedicated landlines where you could stay connected to the radar and see you know, probably about 10 to 15 minutes in arrears what the weather service radar was seeing. Still pre-NEXRAD at this point because the, you know, the NEXRAD Doppler radar network really didn't start to be deployed until the early 90s even though the specification was nailed down in 1988, which is why it is called WSR-88D, D being for Doppler. Now, the interesting thing about this radio station is that it was a satellite radio station where my voice was really not required except on commercials and in uneventful local weather breaks. You know, I'd jump in and say, hey, the temperature is this. Here's your forecast for tomorrow station ID, and now back to the satellite. You know, he didn't actually say and now back to the satellite, but, you know, you, you said this in 30 seconds, you put it on a cart, the cart looped around, at the end of the Q-tone it dumped back to the satellite, and those DJs were running live out of Tyler, Texas somewhere. 
if there was bad weather, we were expected to get Mr. TV on there to earn his money. <clears throat> However, one night, really late at night, a tornado warning popped, and I waited about one minute after the, you know, the EBS thing had gone off. I wrote down, you know, in broad strokes the details of the warning, and I kept waiting for Mr. TV to call in. One minute passed, two minutes, and yeah, we really didn't have much lead time on warnings back then. Two minutes? You're blowing a lot of time. I jumped on the air, and I did the warning. Well, apparently, even though he was not calling in, he was listening because he knew I got on there with the warning. And the next day, he was in the manager's office trying to get me fired. And really, my only defense for that was, where the hell were you? You know, we certainly weren't paying the guy for his sparkling personality. We were paying him for name recognition and the fact that he was supposedly a weatherman. Which, no, I say weatherman and not meteorologist. I'm also not a meteorologist. I'm no more of, no less of a meteorologist than he was. I was a guy who got on the radio and told you what the forecast was. The only reason I knew what the forecast was was because we had a weather radio that we could sit there and listen and write down what the government forecasters were saying. I didn't get fired for that, by the way. But uh, eventually, the station did decide to do without Mr. TV. Big surprise, Mr. Personality. I'm not going to name names. He has passed on, and I have no wish to speak ill of the dead, other than to say in hindsight, I can uh, kind of see where his former employers were more than happy to part ways with him. Now, I also had a weather radio at home, and a lot of a lot of homes around here have a weather radio, or at least they should have a weather radio. Now, my weather radio that I had when I was a, a teenager, uh, well into the 90s, kept this thing working. Actually into the, uh, actually into this century. It was a realistic weather radio, wood grain, plastic wood grain, and it had this warbling alarm that was basically an air horn, and it would sit there and, you know, like some sickly walrus in heat until you went and pushed the button to actually turn on the radio. Somewhere on videotape, in hours and hours of videotape from my teenage years, uh, there is probably an instance of this alarm going off. It's just that if I wait to find that before putting this podcast out, it will be going out in April of 2018. So just take my word for it. A walrus in heat. <clears throat> you know what that sounds like, right? It's kind of funny. One of the apartments I lived in when I was in my 20s, I lived in downtown Fort Smith. On the second floor, over a bar called Old Town Green and Feed, they had, it was a hundred-year-old grain storage building, basically, and it had been retrofitted into a bar and a couple of storefronts downstairs, and on the second level, there were apartments. They were nice apartments. They were kind of weird apartments. I really liked my place there. I had a succession of neighbors because not everyone was really cut out to live with the noise coming from the bar where they had lots of live music. And when I first moved there, I was working 
nights, and so it didn't really affect me if they were playing music at night, because I wasn't there. I'm sure it drove my cats crazy, but there you go. Poor Othello and Iago. I had one neighbor, literally one door over from me, who complained to me one time that my my weather radio went off in the middle of the day on Wednesday. Well, that was the that was when they always tested it. It was Wednesday around noon. And she complained that it scared her. <clears throat> well, something's got to get your attention. I mean, this this is where <laughs> she she was quite a bit younger than me. Well, not quite a bit because I was in, you know, I was in my early 20s, but she was still younger than me. And I'm sitting here thinking in retrospect, this, right there, you have the generation that decided, you know what, we're not going to cut into Scooby-Doo with the red screen of death anymore. We're going to play gentle music and tell you that the local Kia dealership is sponsoring this tornado warning. Don't get me started. That's where I was living in April 1996. April 21st, 1996 was a Sunday night at the end of a weekend that was either full blast sunny or full blast stormy. Nothing in between. In fact, just the day before, I had worked slow-mo and instant replay in the live truck covering a college baseball game in town at the station that I worked at. And so that gives you an idea of how crazy the extremes of the weather are around here. It can change in a minute. You know, the saying, you don't like the weather? Well, wait five minutes, it'll change. Since 1993, I had been working at a low-power, non-news Fox station. Somewhere in 95, we did start doing little five-minute weather breaks, and it was wedged in between the end of Fox primetime and the beginning of the local programming at 9 o'clock at night, which was usually in the heat of the night. I was not the weatherman in this case. My buddy Mike was the weatherman. I was the producer. I got to put together all the graphics and stuff. Man, that was the job for me. I got to do weather stuff. I got to do TV stuff. I did not have to put my fat face on the air. Thank goodness for that. Now, (laughs) one thing I do remember is that, you know, since Mike was now the station's weatherman of record, we'd have to call him in if stuff started getting dicey, and he'd have to stay there. I remember he was also taking classes at the time, and so Mike's schedule was full, and if this turned into an all-night wall-to-wall event, as it sometimes frequently around this time of year, April into May, frequently did, Mike would wind up hitting the couch and saying, you know, Earl, I've got to catch some Z's. I've got to catch a little rack time. Um, wake me up if there's another warning, or wake me up in 20 minutes to repeat the warning that we already have. He would stay, and I would stay, you know, even if it was no longer my shift, but I was the weather producer. We'd stay until the weather was done. That was the job. And <laughs> I remember one time, there, because we live on the border of Arkansas to Oklahoma, you have to deal with a lot of Indian names, Indian place names in Oklahoma. Cities, counties, lots of Indian names. There's a county in eastern Oklahoma called Pushmataha County. It seems like this had to be at about 1 or 2 in the morning. I was tired. I was punchy. I was having to stay up so Mike could could get some shut-eye. 
And I was getting a little punchy and a little goofy, and I went out there and shook him awake, and I said, hey, we've got a tornado warning for Pushmataha County. Mike went out there in front of the camera. I counted him in, and sure enough, tornado warning for Pushmataha County. <laughs> Thankfully, that was about 1 or 2 in the morning. No one said anything about it. Now... Later in 95, displeased with the amount of money he was not getting for doing this weather stuff, in addition to being a, a board op, being, being a master control operator, he was not getting anything extra for sticking his face on the air and sticking around all these hours except for any overtime he got out of it at his current rate. I could see why Mike wanted to leave. <sighs> the way this station worked <laughs> was that the management decided, you know what, we're not going to hire someone to cover that. Someone else is going to have to expand their duties to include the weather. Maybe several someones. Maybe Earl. Oh, oh. No. Nope. 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 Yeah, I wound up doing the weather for a while. Now let me tell you something about how I looked in 1995. I would have been 23 years old. I had hair almost down to the small of my back. I was almost completely bald on top, so this was legitimately the mother of all skullets. Um, I looked like some sort of aging hippie. I would wear really loud Hawaiian shirts. And the first night, just to point up, just to point up how much I did not want to be doing weather, the first night I showed up to do weather, I wore this really ridiculous Hawaiian shirt with a blue background. Well, guess what? The chroma key wall was blue, too. Unfortunately, our engineer was skilled enough that he was able to get the chroma key system to discern between the two slightly different shades of blue between the wall I was standing in front of and the shirt that I was wearing. I was kind of hoping the blue would just all blend together and I would be this floating head on a torso of floral pattern wafting through the weather. So, back to April 21st, 1996. I was talking to my friend Mark on the phone, as was often the case on the weekends, and told him, you know, that we'd been under a tornado watch of some kind for, you know, at that point, nearly 16 hours. April 21st was a day that they knew was going to be bad. There had been an outbreak going on that whole weekend. It just hadn't really affected Fort Smith yet. <clears throat> I told him not to worry because <laughs> tornadoes never jump the river. Now, it's important to point out that I was maybe... Let's see, I was in the 500 block of Garrison. My apartment was at 501 Garrison at that time. So, literally, maybe about seven blocks from the Arkansas River. Uh, I could literally walk to the bridge into Oklahoma if I wanted to. I, the way people drove across it, I wouldn't want to. But, in theory, you could step out of my apartment, take yourself a nice little hike, and wind up in Oklahoma. There's a little problem with the tornadoes never jump the river thing. That had absolutely no basis whatsoever in science. That night, Tornado just didn't care about the river. 
It formed in southeast Oklahoma and kept tracking to the northeast until it was just across the river from Fort Smith. When it finally hit, Ground Zero was about a block and a half away from me. There was a radio station across 5th Street, across, actually, was that 5th Street? Yeah, it was across 5th Street from me. There was a radio station with a very tall transmitter tower. That tower was bent in half, downward toward the ground. Buildings a block and a half away from me no longer had roofs. Some of them no longer had walls. There was one case where there really wasn't a building left, just a pile of rubble. It was that close. Power was out for at least a week. Now, at that time, my thing was to keep a lot of frozen food around. The idea being that I would either take it to work with me and heat it up there, or that I would wind up having to fix something really quick at home, because since I lived literally at the other end of the block from the TV station, I'll just put it this way, I became the the most reliable form of backup anyone else had. You know, station suddenly went to black for absolutely no reason, and they couldn't get the control room to answer the phone. I would get the next call. Earl, walk over there, see what's going on. Boy, have I got some stories there, but... Not now. (laughs) There was another time that one of the evening board ops knocked on my door because they had locked themselves out of the, the back door because they forgot to prop it open while they went out on the fire escape to smoke. What had happened if I wasn't home? How would they have gotten back in? Anyway... So I was at the other end of the block from the station, and I remember distinctly at the time that the the tornado warning went out, the power was already flickering on and off. We had hellacious hail pouring out of the sky, just buckets of it, at least golf ball size, and I got a phone call from the station on my landline saying, you need to get over here, we don't know how to put a tornado warning on the screen. Now, in defense of the board ops who were on duty that night, there was no tornado warning screen to put up on the handy, trusty Amiga 2000-based video toaster system that we used for all of our storm warnings because it had always been assumed that if things got that bad, we wouldn't be leaving it to the toaster. We would have someone in front of the blue wall doing weather. But no one had called me, and so I wasn't already there to do that, Hawaiian shirt or otherwise. So I wound up running through golf ball-sized hail from one end of the 500 block of Garrison to the other end of the 500 block of Garrison. And I got pelted with this stuff that just about knocked me out. As soon as I hit the back door, the power to the building and, you know, the whole of downtown Fort Smith went out. I knew the building well enough in low lighting that I was able to run down to the control room, and I told the guys who were there on duty, screw it, never mind, get to the basement. There's nothing we can do. Because power was out, we were off the air. So, 
the you know, the awnings got torn off of that building. Satellite dishes, our satellite dishes on the roof over the eleventh floor, were one of them was hanging by one cable down the side of the building after the tornado went through. And it gets better from there. A few days later, when they turned the gas back on downtown, there was a furniture business across from across from the block where my my apartment and the TV station were, but one block further to the east, in the 600 block, I believe, was a business called Eads Brothers Furniture. It was a pretty old building, but they were still in business. They were one of these local businesses where name recognition alone kept them, you know, kept the doors open, kept the lights on. Good for them. That building blew up. There was a gigantic fire, and within minutes they'd given up on containing the fire in the building it was in because the building it was in was not going to survive they started hosing down the buildings across from it in case the fire spread they were hosing down the station they were hosing down my apartment and there were policemen and sheriff's deputies going around knocking on the door because i was at work at the time that this happened but when this happened it's like okay bye because i had to get home and get my cats and get the hell out of there it was kind of an interesting conflict to have to decide, okay, am I on the clock or am I going to go get my cats? I I went to go get my cats and no one ever really said anything to me about it. So I think there was an understanding that perhaps I had a slightly different set of priorities there. We were evacuated for a few hours, and unfortunately, one of my cats got into a hidey hole and would not come out. And, you know, the deputies are like, you've got to go now. You've got to get out of the building now. And this was underscored by the fact that I looked out one of the, you know, big, tall, old glass windows at this fire raging across the street, you know, threatening to spread to the building I was living in at the time. And I happened to touch the window. It was already hot. So I had my black cat in the carrier. I couldn't get my white cat, and they weren't going to let me stay long enough to find him. And I had to leave him there. I evacuated to a friend's house in Oklahoma for a little while. And uh, when I got back, everything was covered in soot. You have to keep in mind the roof had taken some damage from the tornado. I already had water damage. Well, one of the casualties of the 96 tornado was the Odyssey 2 video game system that I had gotten from my uncle something like uh, you know 16 years before that like the uh, you know the machine that I started out with is not the machine that I have now I have had to replace it and there were a few other casualties as well in the electronics department but that was the one that really really kind of stung there was a lot of family history on that old game system that you know, couldn't really be replaced. Among my neighbors, there was a lot of scuttlebutt that the building was about to be condemned and the management wasn't exactly forthcoming with information. It was about this time that uh, I decided, 
yeah, we gotta get the hell out of here. And that's when the drive to get another job some other part of the country in earnest really kicked in to the point that I was spending more money priority mailing VHS videotapes of my work around to any station in the country that had an opening in the production or promotions departments. I was spending more on that than I was spending on feeding myself. And it eventually paid off. I got a job in Green Bay about a year later. Now the funny thing was weather in Wisconsin was different. They still had severe weather up there. They had tornadoes up there. They had severe thunderstorms. But there was a huge difference between Tornado Alley severe weather coverage and Wisconsin severe weather coverage. They had not quite so much of a sense of urgency. There was complete bafflement as to why anyone would go wall-to-wall with constant coverage on something. Because they hadn't had one of these squall lines pour in from out of Kansas and Oklahoma and just wreak havoc for hours and hours. I remember on my very last day at the station in Wisconsin in 1999, there was a, you know, there was a nice little line of severe weather that went through, and on my last day there, despite not having trained as a director or anything else, I convinced the, you know, the lady who was doing weather, she was there on duty, I convinced her, you know, we've got to do a cut-in on this. And I was really urgent about it, and she was completely confused as to why I was so urgent about it. Gosh, it's just a severe thunderstorm warning. And the reason she and everyone else was looking at me like I had grown a third nostril and was suddenly on fire was because I was doing things like we did in Tornado Alley, not like they do it in Wisconsin. When I moved back to Arkansas in late 99, I got a job at the local ABC station where I was for the next seven years. And it was back to staying all night if the weather demanded it because one of my tasks was to post video on the station's media-rich website, which this was a service we actually started a couple of years before YouTube was a thing. It was that you you could look at our news reports and sometimes our weather reports on the website. And so I would have to stream the stuff or post it shortly after it hit air. And that was a pretty vital function. They wanted that stuff done fast. I was the fastest person as far as doing that. And so I was there lots of late nights hanging with the weather guys again, as you do. Now, in 2007, when my first kid was born, all of a sudden, I, you know... I had already left the station by that point. I had left at the end of 2006. When little E came along and bad weather would happen, I was more than happy to stay home with him. And I sat there kind of clucking my tongue thinking, man, I, uh, you know, I'm glad I'm not having to stay at the TV station until 4 a.m. now. Good times. Good times. So... Let's bring this a little bit closer to the present day. Something I've talked about occasionally on this podcast is the fact that maybe about the time that my first son was one or two years old, we cut the cord. We reduced our cable to internet only. And you have to keep in mind that's a that's a fairly drastic measure to take where I live because I am on the side of a mountain immediately to my south. Well, that mountain completely blocks any signal trying to come in from Fort Smith. 
I am too far south of Fayetteville to pick up any signals coming from Fayetteville. So basically, I live in a dead area as far as television reception goes. So, in bearing that in mind, if you're going to cut the cable off, how do you keep track of the weather? There's an internet for that. I have lots of fun, <laughs> fun stuff that uh, I use to keep track of the weather. Two of them are published by the same outfit, which actually started out as just one guy, but now there's actually a company behind them that offers a little bit more support than one guy was able to offer. Uh, one program is called Interworn, and basically what it does is it just it sits in your icon tray down by your clock on a, on a Windows machine, and it pulls the weather service servers every so often. I think you can set the interval, but the average interval is something like 30 seconds, and it will pull for new watches or warnings, and it'll pop up a crawler on your screen just like you would have on TV. And, you know, you just sit there and read it as it goes by, X out of it when it's done. Or it gives you the option of just pulling up the entire advisory in its own window if you, you really don't have the patience to sit there and read a crawler on your PC monitor, which I can completely understand. The same outfit publishes a package called Stormlab, which is a really neat weather radar package which also relies on the resources of the National Weather Service. However, you can get what is called Level 2 data with it. However, that usually involves a paid subscription through a service like Allison House, I believe. That's really the, the big syndicator of Level 2 radar data. And, you know, once you get to Level 2 stuff, you can construct some really interesting views of a storm. Whereas, you know, if you have the free version and you're just pulling off the, you know, the National Weather Service's servers, you're, you're seeing what they're seeing maybe about five minutes in arrears, which that's, that's fine by me. Now, there is a third tool in my arsenal, although I will admit that to some extent this one is a bit more nostalgic than anything. And I've actually shown this off at conventions like uh, the Oklahoma Video Game Expo before, because it is technically kind of an emulator. It's the WeatherStar 4000 emulator. Now, WeatherStar 4000 was the system that the Weather Channel used to generate local forecasts in the late 80s and early 90s. It, you know, it has what is now a very low-tech, very pixely, computery look to it that is, you know, it's almost as retro as an Atari 2600 at this stage. And yet, you know, I can look at that and tell at a glance what is going on. And furthermore, this emulator pulls the National Weather Service servers to get the latest forecasts, the latest data, the latest readings, and it too has a, a radar view that'll pop up as part of its rotation of screens. I'm sitting here looking at it now because I have this thing constantly running on my media center PC. Wow, large hail and dangerous cloud to ground lightning in some of the storms that are actually coming this way toward Tulsa from Tulsa right now. And there's the radar. And yeah, I, I see big uh okay that's not by Tulsa. This is up by 
uh, between Oklahoma City and Stillwater that I'm seeing big red blobs. If things are actually getting kind of hot under the collar, I will generally lean on Stormlab because it updates faster and it's nothing but radar. And this PC has two screens, and so I will put the radar up on my, you know, on my big TV, which thrills my kids if they're here. Oh, Dad, we have to watch the radar. And, you know, yes, we do. <laughs> it's kind of funny now that now the kids are part of the equation. Even though I don't work in TV or radio anymore, I still stay up all night if the weather is getting dicey. Because, you know, the stuff, I, the stuff I've been through, the stuff I've seen, it's kind of hard for me to just sleep that off. I would rather be awake and know what's going on than wake up with tornado sirens going on outside. And you really haven't partied in Tornado Alley until you have spent the wee hours of the morning in a walk-in closet with a two-year-old and a nine-year-old, 100 pounds of Rottweiler mix, and four cooped-up cats. That, my friends, is a good time, and I wouldn't have it any other way. So, there you have it, my tornadic memories. I haven't had another close call like I had in 1996. I'm really not in any hurry to have another close call like I had in 1996. However, I will tell you this right now. I'm recording this pretty late. It's the wee hours of the morning on April 21st, 2017, the 21st anniversary of the Fort Smith tornado. It is 70-something degrees outside, and it is muggy, and it's still. And even the frogs who are normally getting it on down by the pond quite loudly have gotten kind of quiet. And there's big red stuff on the radar moving in this general direction. Here's what it says on my screen. Showers and thunderstorms will increase in coverage over northeast Oklahoma from the southwest. A few of the stronger storms could produce small hail along with dangerous cloud-to-ground lightning. Yeah, thank goodness it's not going to pass anywhere near a circus tent or they would have cloud-to-clown lightning which is horrible. I mean, grease paint everywhere. Ugh. Never want to see that again. All kidding aside, it, this is something that you just kind of live with in this part of the country. Maybe I live with it in a different way than most people do because I'm sitting here, you know, literally with two big screens. <laughs> Constant remote sensing of weather data going on. But I'd rather know than be surprised. Because, like I said, I'm in a broadcast dead area, and signals have a hard time reaching me. The internet goes out. I'm down to this app on my phone. I'm, you know, I'm kind of at the mercy of that. My phone can also pick up radio, and of course, I have a little battery-powered radio. But it's better to know than to be caught unawares. That's the whole point of having a warning system in the first place. So, one final note. Uh, <laughs> 
you're anything like me and you pay even the slightest attention to video game news, you have no doubt heard people anguished and outraged about the fact that Nintendo has ceased production of the NES Classic Mini, which was all the rage around Christmas. Nobody could keep it in stock. They couldn't keep enough of the things in the manufacturing pipeline, or so they told us. And the average price went from 60 bucks to somewhere in the low hundreds. Thank you very much, scalpers. Here's the thing. The joke is really on Nintendo, and this is something we've been discussing in the console gaming area on the logbook.com forums. There is a ready-made case, and I will post a link to it because it is in the logbook.com store, and the logbook.com store can make money again. Yes! But the point is, you can stick a Raspberry Pi in this case that is pre-manufactured to look like a little tiny NES. You know, it has HDMI and USB ports and an SD card slot built into it already. And you stick a power adapter in it, you stick your Pi in it, you run something like RetroPie, you can put whatever ROMs you want on your SD card, whether it's the 30 games that were on the NES Mini, or, you know, every NES and Famicom game ever made. And, boom, you can play it in HDMI. And, you know, I guarantee that there are off-the-shelf front-end menu systems. I would be extraordinarily surprised if there is not an off-the-shelf solution. You know, boom, it's ready, you install it, it scans your ROM directory, and it looks like the interface from the NES Mini. If it doesn't exist already, be assured someone is working on it. You can get this case for 20 bucks. You can get a Pi for not much more than that. You can get USB NES-styled controllers for maybe about 10 bucks each, if even that. Word's already leaked out through several sources that this Christmas we will have the SNES Mini. And you know what? I am literally not playing that game. It's not that I have that much disrespect for the IP holders, but clearly they don't have much respect for us because they created this situation where the price on this thing was inflated beyond all reasonable... anything reasonable. So, I'm not playing their game, and I guess my message to you is there are ways for you not to play that game either and still play the games you want just a thought. I'm a rebel like that. And rebellions are built on well-stocked ROM directories. That's not how it goes. Anyway, thanks for listening, as always. And if I don't get blown away, we'll talk about something else next month. Thanks for listening to Don't Get This Tape to Earl. You can find the podcast at thelogbook.com slash this tape on FeedBurner and on iTunes every month that it's produced. If you like this and the logbook's other podcasts, feel free to support us at patreon.com slash the logbook. Your support has a direct impact on site hosting costs, podcast production, and other great content. Don't Give This Tape to Earl was written, produced, and hosted by Earl Green. Right